anything we need to talk? You want to talk politics for a while? Oh my god. John Syracuse, tell me about your 4K display or displays, if you please. Yeah, this is not really related to the Mac Pro and Apple's getting out of the display business and all that business, but it's strangely connected. So I've got a I've got a PS4 Pro now, and one of the features of the PS4 Pro is that it theoretically supports 4K for games for games that are updated to support it and that actually do support it. Um, and I figure since I, I'm keeping my old PS4 and it had a gaming monitor with it as well, I needed a new monitor for the new one because neither one of these is getting hooked up to my TV for display burn-in reasons. So when I was going to get a new monitor, I figured I should get a 4K one because, hey, this the PlayStation 4 Pro is supposed to be all you know 4K capable, so that's what I should do. So I shopped around for a 4K monitor that supported HDR, which is another feature of the PS4 Pro. Actually, they, maybe they backported that to the plain old PS4. I don't remember. Anyway, apparently it's impossible to find an HDR-capable 4K computer monitor. You can find TVs, obviously, but I wasn't looking for a TV. And, and, and also, the size inflation of TVs that happened maybe three years ago, four years ago, where any decent TV is now like at least 55 inches. Mm-hmm. I'm fearing the day that someday you won't be able to get one less than 65 inches. Like the minimum size for a decent TV has gone up. You'll have to move. You, yeah, you can't buy yourself. <laughs> Can I get a 27-inch 4K TV with HDR? The answer is no. No, you can't. You want a 55-inch? Got one of those for you. Anyway, no HDR, but I did want to get 4K. So I shopped around a little bit. I hate doing this because I don't... There's like a million different products in the... In the in the non-Apple world, so much selection, it's overwhelming. Uh, I ended up getting a uh, ViewSonic, uh, great uh, product names, XG2700 4K display, uh, which is really nice. Uh, I especially like the uh, the stand it came with. It was like, it's like height adjustable. It was very sturdy. It, the monitor itself was a little chunky and a little bit gamery looking. Like it had like a it was black, but with like a red stripe and these silly My things. My word, it wasn't this that is bad. not only expensive, but you're whining about the LG display and the way that looks, and this has freaking red trim on it? Are you serious, John Syracuse? Those are racing stripes that make you go faster. I mean, this is not my Mac, obviously. Oh, wow, have you seen is... what the PlayStation 4 have you seen what the PlayStation 4 itself looks like? This is hideous. I don't care. This is truly terrible. Anyway. Right, the, the LG Ultrafine is it is not a pretty monitor. I'm not trying to say it's pretty, but it's positively understated compared to this atrocity. This is not that. I mean, if you look at it, it's basically just completely black around the display. And all you can see when you're sitting in front of it is the two little red side things on the stand. Um, and you can't even see the red stripe on the on the vertical thing because it gets covered up at the height of the monitor. Anyway, that's what I got. Oh, and, it, and it was all right. Um, all, all of these PC gaming monitors have they have like on screen, you know, uh, adjustments on the device itself that had nothing to do with the thing that's connected to it so on the device itself you can adjust like brightness and contrast but also a million other settings some of which are strange through what you can imagine to be like the worst on-screen controls you know you know when they put like grainy sort of bitmapped little menu mm-hmm. thing and normally you have like a the view sonic has like a one and two button like the one brings up the <laughs> menu the two goes into it and there's up and down arrows so bad it, it's a terrible interface it's it's kind of like going back in time to like when televisions first got on-screen displays, OSD, they call them, on-screen display, uh, which doesn't really make any sense. Is that what it stands for, on-screen display? Anyway. I believe that's right. It doesn't make on. Where else would the display be? On, off-screen display? <laughs> uh, I know. This uh, is yeah. real. I'm still looking at this monitor. I mean, like, I, I should point out, like, I like 
many tastefully designed PC monitors. I like ViewSonic and ViewSonic. I have owned multiple ViewSonic monitors. They are really good usually. I like red even. <laughs> red is one of my favorite colors for things to be in, even though Trump ruined red hats forever. But I look at this monitor and I cannot even imagine buying this thing and having this on my desk. I could not agree more. You should look at just look at the monitor part of it, like not the stand, but just the monitor from the front. It is literally a matte black rectangle with the word ViewSonic on the bottom. Like that's pretty much as plain as you can get. John, but, if, but you, you, you will see the stand, uh, and if you're not seeing the red stripe on the back, your monitor's probably too low. Well, I mean, I guess you can see a little tiny bit of it, but you don't notice it. And, and like, the stand, uh, among stands, you, you don't know how, how deep this thing goes. Go look at some of the stands of other PC and gaming monitors. Just do, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Get, get, a, get a Vesa arm and have that hold this up instead. Yeah, no, I, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to the Vesa arm. Okay, we'll get there. Is it Visa? Um, not Vesa? Uh, all these years I, i'm gonna say visa and it's definitely a move file and you mispronounce everything so <laughs> I, I don't understand how you besmirch the the 5k monitor as an atrocity that you would never be able to use ever and then you buy this piece of garbage do, how do you is think this... do you think i would uh, ever connect this to my mac what difference does it make oh it makes a difference i would never <laughs> connect this to my mac it doesn't even get to be on the same desk as my mac i love it you have like it's... lower standards for like the for like the pc and gaming oh, equipment it's of like well of course John. i do of course and not only of course <laughs> I, I do i don't i don't disagree but you really have no choice like you have to have uh, i have different standards anyway but you have no choice like, there is no like nice tasteful pc hardware for the most part even even things like the hp specter are really you know, I see they're putting in an effort, but it's not not to my taste. Anyway, let me continue my story here. So I got this thing, and the adjustments on it are, are very strange. I'm trying to get it sort of calibrated to something reasonable, but they have all sorts of settings, most of which uh, fly in the face of my television uh, snob sensibilities, because a television, you want to adjust, like, you're trying, there is a goal. There is, like, you can get reference images and say it should look like this, you know, because it, television content is produced with the expectation that here is the color range of your display here is the 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 brightness behavior all sorts of other things like that whereas for a gaming monitor specifically games are not produced with any sort of reference viewing environment right because there is no real standard for that games are produced i don't don't know how they they decide like how dark should the textures be and you know what color range should we use i I really don't know what they use, but I can tell you that everybody's PC monitors are not calibrated, like, quote-unquote, correctly, and are all over the map. And there is a setting that seems to be pervasive on all PC monitors, especially with the gaming band, that they call black stabilization. Have you ever even heard of that? No. What? Why, why is black changing? Yeah, so <laughs> in games, uh, a lot of games are made where there'll be dark sections where you go, like, in a cave or something. But if you're playing a game, especially a competitive game... You don't actually want to, quote unquote, faithfully reproduce the blacks because you won't be able to see anything. Is it? It is an advantage for you instead to have the monitor so that it kind of. I'm assuming what it's doing is like squashing everything down. It's so like, oh, I can see the subtle difference between 100% black and 99% black and 98% black in this cave. It's important for me to see that so I can pick out the edges of the cave wall and find where the enemies are or whatever. Like, if you ever seen anyone do like competitive first-person shooters in PC gaming? They're not trying to get visual fidelity as if it's a a movie or a television show. What they're trying to do is, can I see everything clearly? So a lot of the monitors have settings that make the picture worse, like by reducing the the dynamic range 
and making areas that would be black less black, which looks looks bad. It's like a bad black level on your TV. And also all the settings that are involved, like response time, because that's the other big thing. You, a lot of gamers use TN panels, which nobody uses anymore because they look terrible. The viewing angles are terrible. Um, but they have better response time. I've never gone that far. I couldn't get a TN display because that's like, I mean, it's like going back to the MacBook Air. It's like, no. I mean, you aren't an animal. Right. So I, get a, I got an IPS <laughs> display, which does, it has a, like a five times worse response time. But even on these displays, there's a way you can change the response time to be as good as it can be doing what I assume is sacrificing sacrificing visual quality. I'm trying to strike the right balance between don't look terrible monitor, but also I do feel there's a benefit to not having everything be black when I'm doing the raid, one of the raids in Destiny. There are a lot of dark areas, and if I'm doing some jumping puzzle in the dark to try to do something, I like, you know, I do have it adjusted, quote-unquote, wrong, so I can, so so the games play better. Um, so, anyway, I had a lot of trouble trying to get the ViewSonic set up that way, but the real problem was that for a while, my PlayStation 4 Pro did not show me the 4K output option. It would just output 1080. I'm like, well, that's not what I want. I need you to output 4K. So I did a bunch of Googling. The PlayStation says, uh, you know, count output 4K, and it would say HDCP 2.2 not available. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with HDCP, but it's another one of those stupid things that makes mm-hmm. your life worse for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and this monitor apparently predates HDCP 2.2. It only supports, like, I forget what the earlier standard is, maybe 1.1 or 1.4 i don't know um anyway i had had a quote-unquote hdmi 2.0 cable and everything was good but it didn't work with it and i did some googling you find people asking viewsonic on twitter hey does this monitor support hdcp 2.2 they say sorry no so i'm like oh i'm gonna have to return this thing and get a different monitor uh, now it turns out uh you can get it to games to display 4k on this it has a bunch of hdmi ports in the back and like so many televisions and monitors before uh only one of the ports is like the good one so once I move the cable to the good port, the one and only good port, which isn't labeled with anything that says, hey, this is the only one that does HDMI 2.0. Hey, this is the only one that does 4K, but it turns out there's only one that does it. Um, so I could display games in 4K on this, but I still wanted to get another monitor because this one still doesn't support HDTP 2.2, which probably isn't a factor for playing games, but it does mean that like Netflix and other stuff like that that wants to display video content won't do it on 4K because this doesn't do the stupid intellectual property copy protection dance just the right way for stupid reasons so uh, i returned this one in grand marco fashion uh although this was just <laughs> plain old my fault of like i didn't i didn't even think to look for hdcp 2.0 i'm like i just need a gaming monitor this is one of those it has hdmi input i should be good to go wait and by the way i don't usually return things usually i sell them now, I thought about selling this because, like, the stupid restocking fee on this was going to be a lot of money. I'm like, well, if I can sell it for more than the restocking fee, then... Oh, if there's a restocking fee, I'll return it for sure. It, it's just an issue of, like, I don't want to, like... Like, I feel bad returning things when I know someone else is going to be eating the cost. But if I'm definitely eating the cost, then I won't feel bad about that anymore. Yeah, I was just hoping... I, you know, if I sold it to someone else, it's like a brand new monitor that had, like, barely been touched. The, the, the little plastic films were still on the thing, you know, the peely plastic stuff that protects yeah, yeah, yeah. it that was still on it so this was brand new but if i could have sold it for somebody for like maybe 80 dollars less than i paid for it um then i still would have come out ahead anyway so i returned that one and in its place i got dun, dun, an lg 4k display i don't have an lg 5k display i now have an lg 4k display does it have that weird little head with the camera in it it is not a five head take a look at it um hey what model the, is it the ridiculous fit. i just put the link in the show notes it is not a five head it is more tame looking 
Um, Whoa, there's no edge. There is. It's just. It's just a. It's very thin, but. It's, you know, so you notice this one is smaller overall. It comes in a very small box, as Casey noted. Um, the frame around it is very small. The panel is probably the same panel that's in like every LG 27 inch 4K display that you can get right now because they sell a whole bunch of them with different letter suffixes on them. The little stand that it's on is where the ViewSonic kicks its butt because the ViewSonic stand was big, chunky, height adjustable, and, and red s- and stable, right? And this monitor. If you take your finger and put it under the corner and tap upwards, the monitor bobbles its little bobblehead like it's one of those little hula dolls that you put on a dashboard or one of those <laughs> bobblehead figures, right? It is the worst design stand. It just connects with two screws that you screw in yourself to this little tiny uh, you know, thing in the back of it. Terrible stand. It's ugly, too. I think that little semicircular thing is ugly. It takes up more room on your desk width-wise than, than that square thing that the ViewSonic had. No, there's no red stripe, but it doesn't perform adequately the function of keeping the monitor still so if i bump my desk with my knee while i'm playing i gotta watch a stupid bobblehead bobble in front of me now it does have a visa mount on the back and so i said all right well whatever who cares about that stand it's got you know the 100 millimeter visa mount on the back of the thing all i have to do is find a sturdy visa mount get rid of that stupid foot and use that but i don't want an arm because i don't want to clamp it to my desk because i have glass on top of my desk and i don't want to clamp anything to it my desk isn't that you know, I, I just don't want an arm. There's too much stuff going on back there. I just want to stand. And every single Visa stand I could find was uglier than this foot. Yeah, you're not going not gonna to have a good time there. They're terrible. Like, the metal ones look like giant metal horseshoes. The plastic ones look just as bad as this. So I'm just going to, I'm just, you know, not hitting my desk and being careful. And by the way, the on-screen controls for this one are better than the ViewSonic, but still pretty grim. This one has a tiny little joystick under the middle that you move around it's like kind of like a five-way switch you know you get up down left right and press in but what a, boy what a terrible interface and because it's the bottom and you're wiggling a joystick that's that's like pointing down but you're trying to move controls on the screen that are going you know in a different plane up down left and right i don't know anyway i, I think this one looks a little bit better than the viewsonic uh, panel quality wise uh or maybe it's just that i have had more time to tweak it because the adjustments are not so painful to use in the menu but it has all the same crap uh, including a response time adjustment in which the value that you want is high it's like i don't want high response time but yet because of the way they name these features and probably the, the <laughs> poor translation of the options i had to look it up in the manual and say which one do i want for the thing where the response time number is a lower number of milliseconds oh hi that makes sense why would you ever want it to be slower I, I think it decreases, uh, you know, the uh, the quality of the display. It decreases the, I don't know, something. I'm assuming the color quality or something. Like, it, it's doing less processing on the display and probably, you know, it's it's trying to not put as much computation between the signal and the screen. Uh, same thing with, there's like a sharpness thing that'll apply a sharpness filter. And especially when playing a games in 1080, like Destiny is still just 1080, the sharpness filter does help make the text look better, but it adds processing overhead. So if you really want the best response time, I'm assuming that the best option is to turn the sharpness all the way down, which is what I've done. Anyway, I was able to adjust this to get it look a little bit better to my eyes than the ViewSonic, and now I'm just patiently waiting for 4K games to come out. So I do not have this exact same monitor. I was mistaken. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One, I, I'm pretty sure it's a different model. So you got the UD68-P I got the UD58-B, and the the bezel on mine is considerably larger than the bezel on yours. Also, you chose poorly if this is ever going to get connected to a computer. 
if you're if you're ever going to connect it to a computer, 4K is not enough DPI for 27 inches. You should have gotten 5K. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm never connecting this to a computer. What computer would I connect this to? My gaming PC. Well, you could connect <laughs> it to your piece of garbage Mac in theory, and then actually have a Retina Mac. No, I would. Uh, this also is never going to be connected to a Mac. I, I love that. All of this trouble you're going through. I mean, this is all like this crazy stuff you're going through and having this whole separate desk set up that, of course, this won't go near your Mac and everything and having this PC monitor, all this. And yet you won't build a gaming PC like you're basically doing you're putting in all the effort that it would take to have a gaming no PC. No way. The PlayStation is way less effort than a gaming PC. Way less. Effort no. Than a gaming PC. I mean, yes. once you get into all this crazy monitor twiddling that you're doing, I mean, really, like, you might, like, why is there not a gaming PC on this second second tier desk that you have? Yeah, the gaming PC would not do, uh, there's no Destiny for PC, although Destiny 2 may be coming for PC fans. But anyway, there's no Destiny for PC. There's no West Guardian for PC. There's no Uncharted 4 for PC. Like, I need to have this. This is the thing that I need. The gaming PC does not replace this in any possible way, especially since the only thing I do with my consoles is play, is play like a handful of games that are essentially console exclusives, even on my Nintendo consoles. There's no gaming PC that's going to play the next Zelda game, right? That's what I buy these things for. So I would have to have a gaming PC in addition to this, and there's no room for it, and it's way more headache than this. This is, you know, I, I didn't mind the 4K thing because I was excited to get a 4K monitor and to play games at that resolution. I do have a few games that have been, had updates that came out, which really just makes things look a little bit sharper because it's not like they redid all the textures for the most part. Uh, I think Overwatch is 4K now. I haven't looked at that yet, but uh, anyway, there's a bunch of games there, and, and I haven't, I don't have a, uh, the PlayStation VR yet, but I'm considering getting that. Um, but no, I'm I'm pretty happy with the setup. Oh, uh, my, I'm about the PS4 Pro. The only complaint I have about it, and I realize I should probably just. Uh, complain to sony and get this fixed the one controller that the ps4 pro came with the left analog stick if you look at it like from the side is tilted in the neutral position ever so slightly and i'm not having any of that so (laughs) i'm using my old i'm using my old dualshock uh because they didn't change the controller or any they just changed it like the buttons are now like ugly gray instead of uh black and think maybe the triggers might be a little bit better but anyway i'm gonna complain to sony and say look i took this thing out of the box i never touched it the in the in the neutral position all of these analog sticks should be straight up and down this one is tilted to give me a new thing <laughs> and i'm sure sony will be uh happy to do that for me oh i'm sure on the one side john i truly genuinely admire how perceptive you are and how you can notice these little things oh you would notice it it's not like oh this is obscure i'd only notice if i took it like out a level or a plumb bob you'd notice it with your eyeballs it is not not subtle but with that said i am so glad that i am at worst mildly critical and not hypercritical like you are this whole conversation i'm sitting here thinking Thank God, this is one area I don't really care about. Like, I don't care about gaming really at all. I- I'd like to, but I don't. Uh, I barely care about TVs. I barely care about TV adjustments and picture quality adjustments and everything. I am just. I, I certainly don't care about analog sticks being slightly tilted from neutral. I am just so happy that I like because there are so many areas that I care way too much about. At least here's one that I don't yep because I'm, I'm not i'm not carving my own uh analog sticks out of plastic that'd be the equivalent of you roasting your own beans hey roasting your own beans is really <laughs> not that hard 
and it's really good. I know, but I'm saying like it, it, it's one thing to be picky about the things that you buy, but at a certain point you say, no, "There's nothing I can buy. I must, I must make it myself." And that would be the equivalent of me carving my own controllers and like a, a controller assembly kit and like making my own analog sticks and like assembling it from pieces. You try to find good coffee on this half of the county. I guarantee you, you can't find it. There's no good controllers either, but I just accept what they sell me. <laughs> wow. I just, I just want it to be like, you know, correct as uh, when it comes out of the box, everything should be straight. If you could make your own perfect controller for five dollars and twenty minutes, wouldn't you do it? <laughs> and then I have to drink it, and it's gone. And I got to do it all over again. <laughs> the analogy is breaking down. <laughs> all right. So anyway, um, this this monitor that you bought, John, is not HDR. Is that correct? No, it's not. Isn't that one of because that's why you bought that god awful red racing striped view Sonic was to get? No, none of them are. No, you can't get as far as I'm aware. There, there are none for sale. There is no, there is no gaming monitor. Like I said, you can get a TV with HDR. You can get a 4K TV with HDR support you. for your PS4 Pro. But as far as I was able to determine, there is no monitor, computer monitor that you can buy, as in a thing that's 27 inches and not 55 that you put on a desk that has HDR support. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace sites look amazing. They look look professionally designed regardless of your skill level, and you don't have to code. Although if you want to, you can jump in there and edit the code. You can do things like inject JavaScript or inject your own CSS, move around the blocks, customize your theme. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. You can drag and drop things if you want to. You can just change colors and stuff, or you can change nothing. It's totally up to you with Squarespace with their intuitive, easy-to-use tools for building websites. It is such a huge difference from the way we used to build websites. It is so much easier today with Squarespace. you got to check it out. If you're making a site for yourself, or even better, if you're making a site for somebody else, if you do it on Squarespace, they support it. You don't have to be involved. It's amazing. So if you're making a website for somebody else, or if you just want to save time yourself, which is usually the right move, because you know what? These days, the worst use of your time is updating a website CMS. You need to outsource that to Squarespace, whether you're making the site for yourself or somebody else. Let them handle that so you can do your project. You can do, you can share your photos, you can make your store, you can make your portfolio, you can make a blog, a website for your business or anything else. You can do everything that you need to do with Squarespace. So check it out today. Go to squarespace.com, start a free trial. When you decide to sign up, which you probably will because it's amazing, use offer code ATP to get 10% off your purchase. Thanks a lot to Squarespace for sponsoring our show. Can you guys see the difference between wide color and not? Because maybe I've just never really had a good example photo in like two screens next to each other. But briefly before I gave up my success when I had, but, but, but I did have my seven, I held the two of them side by side and damned if I could tell the difference. And I don't know if it's just that my eyes are crappy, which they unequivocally are. If I just don't appreciate it, which is possible, or it is it just not that big a deal if you're not like a designer like Marco, for example, do you, are you able to tell the difference when you just look at an arbitrary photo on a wide color display versus a not wide color display? Uh, not yet. I suspect as wide color displays become what I'm looking at every day. Cause like right now I do most of my computing on a 2014 5k iMac, which does not have the the high color display. And so I now have it on my phone and on my iPad, but really I'm doing almost all of my, you know, looking at things on my, on my iMac. But it's not, it's not, it doesn't matter where you look at them. 
it's the source material. So Casey, if you have something you look at, if you look at the same picture that you took in a pre wide color world, of course it's going to look the same because there's no wide color information in it. You have to take the picture with a device capable of capturing that and then look at that same picture. One on like your iPhone seven that you took it on that took a wide color picture. And then the other one on that. I thought that's what I did, but uh, but truth be told, it was right when I first got the seven. I, I wouldn't have put it past me to to accidentally have taken like an old picture and said, "Oh, I don't see anything." But and and I've seen like the sample images, like where there's a uh, like a big red blob and there's an R hidden in there that you wouldn't see unless it's wide color, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but nevertheless, on a regular picture, I've not noticed the difference. And as a corollary question. Is is my two year old micro four thirds? I presume that's not wide color. Is that fair to say? Most cameras have have well. Most cameras don't have this option. Middle and high end cameras often will have an option to save the colors in Adobe RGB, maybe instead of like sRGB. Um, but as far I, I haven't looked too much into this. As far as I know, that I think that conversion happens after RAW anyway. So you might be able to fix this with just a different RAW conversion process. John, do you know about this? I'm, I was going to say what you said. Like, there are other color profiles that are not called P3 that nevertheless have a larger range than sRGB. Yeah, like Adobe RGB is one of them. Yeah, I, I don't know which what the little envelopes look like on all of them. but uh, and, and especially if you capture RAW, like, yeah, then that's all the information you're going to get. And if you can pull more stuff out of it, I don't know. But yeah, I, I would, like, your best source for images with wide color is your iPhone 7 because it's, yeah. you know, it's it's all sure. connected up end to end there. Um, if you, you, I'm sure you've looked at Craig Hockenberry's page where he has a bunch of sample images. Mm-hmm. If you really can't tell the difference between the sample images because they're made to like emphasize the areas where humans can perceive the P3 color difference more, but, um, those really emphasize and those are kind of like artificial. Um, but I have seen some other pictures where it's like just a picture of like a park, with like grass and a tree and some sky. Uh, and if you see them side by side, like I do on my iPad Pro, and I go to that page, like, all right, I mean, it's not, it doesn't jump out at you. But if you look, you're like, you're like, is this really the same picture? It's like, yes, this is literally the same picture. Just one is sRGB, and then the other one is showing the full wide color. And the full wide color one, uh, it's it's almost like contrast is turned down in the other one. Like, there's not like the greens don't look as green. Like in this, you know, in the grass type situation, you're like, oh, that tree looks a little bit more pastel and washed out. Not a, not a lot, but you have to see them side by side to see it. I don't think I could pick one out alone. But if you literally show me the same picture and wide and not wide, you go. Oh, the wide looks a little better. That's about it. Okay. Okay, yeah. so I'm not entirely crazy then, because I'm looking at this uh, link on WebKit, and we'll put it in the show notes, and they have, like, and this is what I was thinking of, they have the WebKit logo, which is like this big red blob that in sRGB, you don't see the logo, and then if you go into P3, you can see the logo. Well, if you scroll down on that same page, they have a yellow flower, and if you click, well, this is like what you were saying, John, if you click between the sRGB only and the P3 unequivocally i can tell that the p3 is much more vivid and looks more real but if i were to look at either of these images like you said john without the other side by side unlike say a retina screen versus a non-retina screen where just where it's just unbelievably obvious with these i don't think i would notice the difference unless they're side by side i mean that's how i am with most of these too it you know like the example things if i look at it like on my ipad pro which is my currently my biggest um, p3 screen the, these pictures look great, sure. Like like the the big orangey sunsets. Like yeah, they do look a little more saturated in in those like orangey reddish tones. Uh, but you can look at a non retina screen or a non retina 
image or asset on a web page on a retina screen and you can tell that difference immediately the very first right, thing right. you see that is non-retina if after you're accustomed to retina you notice that immediately whereas if i am scrolling through a web page and i see a picture of, a, of an orangey sunset that is not p3 after i'm used to p3 i don't think i will notice because it, it could just look like it wasn't as saturated of a picture as it could have been and so it's not you know it, it's a way smaller advance for everyday casual observing and for most people it's nice to have i'm glad they're doing it uh and it's especially nice you know if you actually shoot a lot of pictures of orangey sunsets and things uh but it's it's a very (laughs) you know in in general use it's the kind of thing you can very easily forget that you even have Okay, that, that that was my experience as well. And I was curious because I feel like, and maybe it's just because I follow people like Hockenberry and Mark Edwards, and, and the, you know they're really revved up about it. But to me, I was like, man, I barely see the difference. And I'm glad to hear that that's not necessarily unusual. So two more things on the monitors. First, Casey, when you get back to work, you should uh, tap the underside of one of the corners of your monitor and see if you've got a bobblehead too, because I think you have Oh, the I same. definitely do. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's like, what a bad job. Like, the stand has one simple function, just... Put the monitor up off the desk, off the ground, and keep it still, and it fails at that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, the one thing, even though this LG monitors, you know, there's not much to it. Like, it is, it is just black everywhere. It's not matte. It's not shiny. doesn't have much of a frame around it. It's not a five head. The part on the bottom is the biggest part, so, like, it's proportioned. The LG logo is small and subtle, but if you go to that Amazon page for my thing and do the little zoomy thing, you can, you know, zoom in and see the LG logo, right? Move over to the right from the LG logo. What do you see there lurking in the corner? Because this is a PC product. It's just got to be ugly in some stupid way. What do you see there? The stupid Energy Star. And it's small. It's not a big Energy Star badge. And it's black and white. Like, it's not colored and weird. But it's like the whole front of this thing has nothing on it. I will accept the LG logo. It is small and tasteful and centered. Why the hell is an Energy Star sticker? And so I'm like, I'm just going to peel that sticker off. But it's one of those stickers where... I'm going to have to think on it for a while because it is clearly not one of those ones that comes off easy. You know, the ones that are like made to come off like the metal one. It's not metal. It's not plastic. Like here's the, here's the the math I have to do. Like I know I could get it off, but after I get it off, (laughs) what's left underneath the square where it used to be. Will that look worse than the sticker because the sticker for all its ugliness looks like a sticker, right? It's the energy star logo. If I peel it off and there's a bunch of like, sticky crap or i damage the plastic underneath it because it's all just cheap plastic this is not an aluminum apple display or anything right if i damage it somehow or get sticky stuff in there that i can't somehow can't get off with you know careful application of skin so soft on it which by the way that's uh, a secret for all you out there if you get sticky crap from stickers on them one of the many things that will remove it i know there are many products but the one of the ones that i've used for years is avon skin so soft which i think was supposed to be a thing that softens your skin the only thing I've ever used it for is to take off sticker scum. And it's got a pleasant odor. Oh, my God. Why? I, I, I love the extent to which we will avoid talking about the Microsoft Surface Studio. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Anyway, uh, Energy Star sticker, uh, it's, you know, it's just got to be ugly in some way. And, and like I said, I don't like that that semicircular horseshoe stand. I don't, I don't know who thought that was nice, but it's not. So that Energy Star sticker that on your monitors on the bottom right... I have what appeared to be an identical one, but if you look at the stand and you know how it's kind of tilted at a sort of 
not a 45 degree angle, but like a 30 degree angle, maybe. Well, mine was all the way on the left on that stand. And I let it sit for a week or two before I even noticed it. And then I was like, oh, this is crap. And and you know what I did? I immediately ripped it off because I don't worry about things like you do. And there was no residue. Or if there was residue, I like rubbed at it with my thumb for a second. <laughs> you don't know if there's residue. You probably just that. I don't even see it in, in the Amazon picture of your monitor. I don't see the Energy Star sticker anywhere on it. Uh, you're right. I don't see it either, but it was there for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, oh I'm, I might make a run at that sticker eventually. Just rip it off, John. It's like a Band-Aid. Just, just rip it off. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Uh, speaking of Windows stuff, um, we got a series of tweets from uh, Jordan, who is Nerdiophage on Twitter. And he tweeted uh, uh, five things. I'll read them in series. Uh, He says, I spent a week with a MacBook Pro Escape after two solid decades of Windows use. I was of the opinion that Marco's unabashed dislike of, of the OS of Windows was equal parts adoptive culture slash fanboyism slash showmanship. I stand corrected and a little bit humbled. The Windows the Windows path from neophyte to power user is shaped by red registry edits, uh, decoder rings, and secret knocks, which is arduous. Mac OS, uh, by comparison, feels inviting, friendly, and intuitive, like a late-night conversation at a dinner party with good friends. So TLDR, this is still Jordan, uh, Mac OS, holy crap, I get it. Transition cost will be very high, but seriously considering it. And this echoes my experience in 2008 of switching from Windows to um, to OS X at the time. There were two weeks where I doubted my life and thought I'd made a terrible, awful, horrible choice, and then, then I'd never look back. I'm not saying that Jordan's experience is true for everyone, because now we're going to have all the Windows apologists writing in telling us how Windows is good and we're a bunch of jerks and blah, blah, blah. But Do they still really listen to us? Uh, some do because we still get emails. Um, I'm not saying that this is true for everyone. I'm not saying Windows isn't better in some way or another. But what I am saying not. is that we are not the only <laughs> we are not the only ones that seem to think that there's a better way. So just thought I'd share those series of tweets from Jordan. So thank you, Jordan, for writing us. Uh, we had an interesting conversation in Slack, Marco, and I'd like to air a grievance. <laughs> <laughs> Let's back up to circa January, maybe December, uh, so almost a year ago now. And the two of you, but my recollection was that it was mostly Marco, were saying, you know what, Casey, you should never put personal crap on your laptop, on your work laptop. You should really have a nice, powerful machine for home use. You probably shouldn't be ignoring Aaron and using your laptop while you're sitting next to her on the couch. You know what you need? You need an iMac. I've tried the laptop dance, Casey. It's no good. It's no good, man. Get the iMac. Think about that 27-inch beautiful 5K display with wide color, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you it's the way to go. This is, there are some, I have some nitpicks with your summary already, but go ahead. But then fast forward to, I don't know, a few days ago, when Marco is talking in Slack, that private place that we really shouldn't bring up publicly, but here I am because I'm annoyed, and Marco is talking in <laughs> Slack and saying, hmm, you know what, maybe I'll get a new MacBook Pro and a 5K display, and I'll be back to a one-machine man again, and I won't even have to have a stupid desktop anymore. Mm. That's not, Okay. Okay. <laughs> so here here's what I said. So basically looking looking at performance of everything and and figuring a a potential and maybe even likely future that does not include the Mac Pro existing and also includes standalone 5K Retina displays uh that can plug into laptops that have v- not not matching but 
maybe 90% of the performance of IMAX um, or 80% of the performance of IMAX. I always say the reason I buy the 15-inch laptops is because when I'm traveling, I either need almost nothing, in which case it doesn't matter what I have, and it's the laptop's mainly there to like you know to type emails faster um, or to like browse Twitter, or I'm doing serious work, whether it's Xcode or like Lightroom, photo raw importing and stuff and editing. Either way, like usually when I use a laptop during travel. Uh, I, I, I want a, a lot of screen space and I want a lot of horsepower. I also now have an iMac a, as my main computer. And looking at the specs of these computers these days, and you know, compare, you know, comparing the, the new MacBook Pros with uh, LG 5K display, you know, uh, assuming it's good, which we don't actually know yet, but we'll assume it's good because it probably is. Uh, comparing that against the iMac, you know, basically I am maintaining and, and upgrading and paying for two different computers with overall fairly similar hardware and fairly similar performance. And so I thought, you know what I probably should do, but won't, and I bolded won't, but (laughs) I said what I probably should do is stop having two similarly specced Macs that I pay for and and maintain and everything or just have a a, a top-of-the-line 15-inch MacBook Pro that I use, like many people do, in clamshell mode next, you know, on my desk most of the time. But then when I travel, I can just take that with me and have all the power of this maxed-out computer uh, with me. That is what I should do. It is not what I'm doing. <laughs> and maybe in the future I will do that. Uh, you know, you know me. I, I always change everything up because I'm never happy. Um, so maybe in the future I will do that. I think I, I really want to wait and see what happens with the Mac Pro next year first. You know, if it turns out the Mac Pro is really dead and that the best we can ever hope for on desktops is iMac hardware that's 10 or 20% faster than the MacBook Pros of the day, then that might make a lot of sense, actually, for me. But I you won't really... be able to handle the fan noise. I guarantee it. You can just think of but that. But the iMac also has fan noise. That's the problem. Like, but when... not as loud as a 15-inch. No way. Well, so so again, I, I want to see the new 15-inches first. I, I want to, you know, I want to have some experience with them. Hopefully, to see, like, you know, is this really, a th- you know, how are these machines? They really did reduce the fan noise noticeably when they moved from the old crappy symmetrical fan blades to the uh, Retina MacBook Pro in 2012. When when Johnny first talked about the asymmetric fan blade, they showed this showed the waveform. Yeah, it's not. Louder, but it, the the like the annoyingness of it. I and mean, yeah, the asymmetrical really helped with the annoyingness. It turned it more yeah. into a white noise thing. But I think it's still not a contest. I, I'm annoyed that I can hear the iMac at all. I'm annoyed at what I hear when I hear a laptop going with the. I, I guess I haven't heard the new ones, obviously, but the asymmetrical fan ones. They still. I don't like the sound of like a white noise generating machine. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, and and I I don't like see. But see, when my iMac fan spin up. I consider that like something that I either need to put headphones on right now and stop hearing this, or I need to find with the process that is using all my CPU power and just kill it, uh, because I I can I I really do not like hearing fan noise while I work. It's simple as that. So you know a Mac Pro is silent under load in most rooms, and that's one of the reasons I love it, and that's one of the things I will greatly miss if it is truly dead forever. Um, which you know again I, I I think it's looking increasingly likely. We'll see what happens next year. But anyway, so all I was saying was. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to maintain two different four-core mid-range to high-end machines from Apple when I occasionally need one on the road, but most of the time it's at my desk. It would make more sense to consolidate that into one computer 
and maybe even pull an iMic slash CGP Grey and have two laptops. Maybe I have that crazy one and also a very small one, like either an Escape or a MacBook One um, for for the travel needs during which I don't need a lot of power and I just want to have the smallest thing possible and that would hardly ever get upgraded. Uh, but that that is a world that I probably should go to, but currently I am not going to that world because currently I'm still waiting out the uh, potential Mac Pro of the future. So I will see. Um, ATB Tister is pointing out in the chat room uh, that I should not forget that six core chips will be coming to the iMac consumer core i7 line, uh, presumably you know in, in the near future. A six core iMac would be awesome. I would really prefer more. You know, if, if I'm gonna upgrade from four, I want a big upgrade. I want to go to eight or twelve even, uh, or even more if, if I can get it. Um, so it'd be nice to have even more. Uh, but you know, we'll see. Again, it, this this all depends on what the hardware brings over the next year or two. And uh, whether Apple even makes computers that use these chips that are coming out, we don't even know that. Uh, so we'll see. Time will tell. But right now, I am not going all laptop. Uh, but all I was saying that if I were more sensible, uh, it would probably be a better allocation of resources to just do that, which is probably the reason why so many people do exactly that. Indeed. All right. I just wanted to uh, grumble at you publicly for a moment. So I, I feel much better now. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> We're sponsored tonight by Betterment. Go to betterment.com slash ATP for investing made better. Betterment is the largest automated investing service out there that's independent, managing more than $5.5 billion for over 180,000 customers as of this past September. Betterment has changed the investing industry by making investing easier and at a lower cost than traditional financial advising services. Betterment manages your investments with the same strategies that financial advisors use with clients who have millions of dollars. And you've probably heard about them in the press, such as the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and TechCrunch. The financial services industry has embraced technology and innovation through the creation of automated investing platforms like Betterment, meaning that you keep more of your money with fees that are a fraction of what you pay for traditional financial services. Excess cash that's generated is automatically reinvested, so every dollar you invest is put to work. Your portfolio is also automatically rebalanced as necessary. Now, investing involves risk. But right now, you can get up to six months of no, six months of no fees by going to betterment.com slash ATP. That's betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment, investing made better. Apple has released a new Mac book and things. <laughs> uh, there's a new design book, and half of me thinks I really don't see a problem with it. And half of me thinks, my word, have they lost all sense of reality. And I haven't decided which one's which. One's which. Did anybody see this coming? I didn't. Sure. For sure. I, I, don't th- I think it's a totally reasonable and to be expected thing for them to do. In fact, I'm surprised they don't do more of it. I mean, they sell they sell shirts with their things on them. They sell all sorts of merchandise with, that's Apple that has Apple stuff on it. They They love having giant posters of all their, you know, their proud of their design and this particular thing as sort of a capper to johnny ive's career at apple like it makes total sense i don't i don't think it's all that weird there are a few things that are different about it. i mean first of all like the the t-shirts and mugs and everything you can only buy at their company store or at their conference 
Uh, so it, like you can't just go into any Apple store or go online and order an Apple T-shirt. Like you, like that's kind of like a limited thing. They keep only to like their store. Well, I'm assuming this will be limited too. Like, how long do you think they'll sell this? They're not going to be selling it for five years. Unless maybe maybe Tim Cook says, you know, we can keep selling the same design book for ten years and never have to lower the price. Sure, but like the the other stuff is more like a like it's like a gift shop at a museum. It's like I I went to Apple to to either WBDC or to their campus, and so I got this this expensive T-shirt because I went there. Uh, and that's that's a little bit more justifiable if you have a problem with this. By the way. I don't necessarily have a problem with this. I, I'm still, I'm mostly indifferent on it. I, I mostly don't care that it exists. I do think it, it shows a few things worth worth considering, you know, things like possible Johnny Ive retirement. Uh, overall, though, it, it seems poorly timed at a time when Apple is being criticized for neglecting a lot of their product line and their new release is being criticized for being an especially poor value for the money. And they and they appear to have cut dongle prices in an effort to show maybe that they're not just trying to get a whole bunch of extra money from from accessory sales. So it is kind of a, an unfortunate time, even if you ignore the election, which I, I, I don't think you should. But even if you ignore that, this is kind of a weird time for Apple to release an incredibly self-congratulatory highfalutin two to three hundred dollar book about themselves. It, it's just it's a little bit poorly timed i think but even if you don't agree with that if you set that aside i think it's mostly fine i do think it it is one of many signs pointing to johnny ives probably not that far off departure or retirement from apple or maybe he'll just he'll just ascend further into the clouds of bizarre titles that that mean he doesn't actually do any day-to-day work uh but (laughs) that might be the same thing i don't know uh but i'm not sure if i want one or not i might be one of the ideal customers for it I buy stupid, expensive things all the time, uh, but, <laughs> and I like Apple stuff usually a lot. As I was looking though at some of the some of the pages that that like they have on their sample site and everything, they just kind of make me sad because they show like like on their store the samples show the Mac Mini case and and like the the big cutting wheel. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the terms for these various manufacturing tools, but like, like some giant spiky wheel that presumably carves out part of the inside of the Mac Mini case. And it's like, oh, that's really nice that you care so much about the Mac Mini that <laughs> that you'll take this picture of the machine that makes its case. Uh, what about the product? That's been pretty neglected, pretty badly. Or it, sh- it, it shows like it showed like a picture of the um, of the bottom assembly with, with the lid popping off of the previous generation non Retina MacBook Pros. Like the, I th- it might even be the one hundred one exactly. Um, and it shows the the, Ma- the MacBook Pro bottom lid taken off, and you have the removable battery. And you have their movable, upgradable hard drive. And it's like, oh, yeah, remember when laptops were upgradable and easily repaired? It's like, mm. like it, I, I think this book would mostly just make me sad, honestly, about like about either either computers that Apple has neglected and that I that I am sad about, like the Mac Pro, which I assume is in there, uh, or features of computers that are no longer present that have been cut through the the march of quote progress over the years some of which is real progress some of which is just cutting things um so i i don't know how i feel about this for myself but if other people want to have this book and and enjoy it that's fine really again i do think the release is poorly timed but other than other than that i don't really have a problem with it i think i mostly agree but i already have a copy it's just called iconic (laughs) yeah i have iconic somewhere i think too i have the uh the old apple design book from the 90s it's called the let me, let me check the title hang on 
while you're checking, there is one nitpick I do want to I, I do want to um, not forget about though, and that is so so Steve Jobs' name is all over this book. Uh, they they his name's all over the press release. They very prominently dedicate it to him and everything. I I think enough people have said that I don't need to say too much about that. It's questionable whether Jobs would have actually approved this project and and used it. I will say though that that a lot of people keep saying that this project was started eight years ago, uh, and therefore that was back when Jobs was alive, and and therefore he must have implicitly approved it. And that's not entirely clear. Uh, when Johnny Ive gave the interview to uh, W something wallpaper, whatever it was, I forget. I'm sorry. It mentioned that they started collecting the products to photograph eight years ago. That doesn't mean they started photographing for this specific project that was approved by Jobs eight years ago. So I do want to make that clear that I don't, we don't know that Jobs knew this at all, uh, and I think I can't imagine that he would have appreciated it. But well, you know, it's it's always risky for for tech people like us to say, well, Steve Jobs wouldn't have done this or wouldn't have liked this because you don't really know. And the guy changed his mind a lot, and he's not here anymore to to refute it. So it, it's not a great thing to rest on. But but I do think plastering his name all over it is maybe not so they, great they just dedicated it to him it's not like they're trying to like you know build on his his image to make to sell this book like the book sells itself on its merits it's just dedicated to him it's in the memory of their friend i think that's fine and if we can say one thing about this book it is that steve jobs would like to have it in his house whether or not he thinks it's a product apple should sell i guarantee you he would love to have this book he would sit there on his his couch with his bare feet and leaf through it and look at the great work that he's done whether he thinks the things <laughs> Apple should be selling is a whole other story. Whether he thinks Apple should have a museum of all their old stuff is a whole other story. But he so clearly took pride in all the products that are in this thing that he himself, just personally, would surely love to have the best possible photographs on the best possible paper made in Germany with a you know, special gilding around the edges. And he, he would love this book. This seems like a really cool thing to make for your employees. You know, or or to maybe sell for a limited time at your campus store, but to sell it as like a whole product, I, I think that kind of raises the bar and raises the um, the level of criticism a bit, uh, a little bit un- unnecessarily maybe. But you know, because like I think it would be a lot cooler if this was a thing for all the employees that they just all got for free. Which by the way, are they even getting it for free? Probably not. It's they're charging two or three hundred dollars for it. But imagine if they gave this to all the employees and the handful of Apple collectors who really want it would have to like go find it on eBay or something like that. It would be so much cooler if you had one, if that was the case. I don't know. It just seems like that might've been a better way to go here. Yeah, I tend to agree. So I just reached out uh, to the bookcase behind me and grabbed my copy of Iconic and I started paging through it and I landed on page 130 of Iconic and it has a quote, which I will read to you. If you never change anything, then what what you can really engineer is kind of incremental. But when you're willing to change things, then you kind of open up a whole new world of design. This is Big Bob Mansfield at the launch of the 2012 MacBook Pro. And the accompanying picture is a MacBook Pro that has MagSafe, Ethernet, uh, Firewire, Thunderbolt, two USB ports, an SD card slot, a line in, and a headphone jack. I just thought that was kind of funny. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah so uh it, when you're willing to change things and you open up a whole new world of design like fewer ports 
So the book next to me is called Apple Design, all one word, capital A, capital D, colon, the work of the Apple Industrial Design Group. Uh, and it's a, it's an older book, so it's got the stuff from before you guys were Mac users. It's like mostly the era, well, iconic spans the whole range. But anyway, it's, it's definitely earlier than the stuff that's in this book. Um, and I could say, I would like to own this book too. I would totally like to own this book, but I wouldn't like to own it three hundred dollars worth at this point. Because um, <laughs> and here's here's the thing: like, it's not that three hundred dollars for a really super high quality photo book is that big a deal. It's just that for me personally, with you know having just bought a monitor and a PlayStation Four Pro and all sorts of other stuff, um, I would spend three hundred dollars in this if it was like the making of the Star Wars books that I bought, which by the way weren't three hundred dollars. Like basically, if it was lots more words. Not that I don't like the pictures. I do. I want the pictures. But if it was the pictures, but also page upon page upon page of the designers, including Johnny himself, telling the story of how they came up with these designs in as much detail as they can possibly remember. Again, like the making of the Star Wars books, which are not first person accounts, but it's like someone researched and talked to all the people involved and tried to lay out. Here's how each of the three original trilogy Star Wars movies was made from conception through to production and design, talking to all the people involved and getting quotes from them and putting it all together. That's what I would like to read. And my impression is this book is either entirely or at least mostly pictures and not so much about Apple's going to tell you, you know, how the sausage is made. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of pictures of prototypes and, you know, like the things with the tool that Marco talked about or whatever, but it's not really like tell us how did you come up with this because i would love to read that but that is not this and, and what i'm saying is basically if those if those words were in this book i would pay 300 dollars for it in a second but just the photos i i have a, a longing to own this book but cannot bring myself to part with 300 dollars for it quite yet maybe maybe i'll break <laughs> down it depends on how long they sell this maybe i'll succumb to it at some point because i really do want this book i mean i have tons of books like this but boy 300 dollars is tough and no i don't want the small one because come on that's another thing. Why are there two <laughs> sizes? Like, that's such a they, Tim Cook it, thing. Just make it they should, one. <laughs> they should have called the big one the plus. Yes. Some people want a larger book. Obviously. Mm-hmm. The big one is huge, though. Like, I, the big one, I think, I'm thinking about if I had that in my house, how the hell would I even fit it on my shelves? I don't think I even have any shelves. The, the making of Star Wars books are a little bit too big for my shelves, too. But, you know, if it's photos, come on, you got to get the big one. Yeah, I just got to say, this iconic book, I had I hadn't paged through it in a long time. Man, is this a nice book. It really honestly is. And it's cheap now. It's like 50 bucks on Amazon right now. It's definitely worth it. I wonder if I can get the business rep discount on the book. Yeah, 15% off your $300 book. <laughs> so my, my Apple design book is right next to The Art of Kiki's Delivery Service, The Complete Works of Larry Elmore. Um, what else do I have? Uh, Hyrule Historia, Legend of Zelda book, all of which are about the same size, big kind of glossy photo book things, but none of which cost $300. No, I mean, it's, you know, people who know more about art books are, and, you know, as you said, John, like, I don't think it's outrageously priced for what it is, but it certainly doesn't contribute, or it certainly doesn't help the the recent or possibly the forever reputation of Apple for this, like, elitist company making expensive things that only for rich people. Like, that's, this doesn't really help that image at all. This really, I don't know, again, this is not a big deal. I don't feel that strongly about this book either way. I might even buy one. Who knows? But I do think it was a little poorly timed for for image sake, I think. And see, the, the weird thing about this book is it's. I like the idea that Apple itself is the one doing it because as great as Iconic is in the Apple design books or whatever, Apple presumably uh, 
I mean, you would think they would have access to all this stuff, but apparently they didn't and had to go out and buy it or whatever. But either way, like they, Apple's really good at taking pictures of its products. They have the most experience of anybody in the entire world taking pictures of Apple products because that's what they do, and they do it really, really well. And because they're all obsessive, detailed people about like the printing and the color and the paper, I bet it's a really nice book, right? But the one thing that Apple can bring to this book above and beyond those two things that I just mentioned that nobody else can is that they have the best access to the people who were involved in making these. Some of those people may be gone, although supposedly there's very little turnover in, in Johnny Ives' little uh, design group there. That's the value they can bring to this. Because the, whole, the whole angle you're getting at, Mark, was like, Apple's making a book about how great they are. That's right. They're making a book about themselves and saying, we are awesome. Or just look at all these cool things that we made, which I guess is okay, but if you want to blunt that, it's like, don't just make it, look at these awesome things that we made. Bring the value that only you have. Tell us the stories, people who worked on these products Tell us about how you made them because no one else can tell us how they made them. Other people can take pictures of them. Other people can make a big glossy photo book. Other people could probably find the right kind of paper and do the cool printing and do all the things. But nobody but you guys can tell us the story of how these products were made. And they're not doing that. So they're like saying how great they are, but like, eh, I don't want to tell you too much about it. Just look at this stuff. We're pretty great, huh? Don't never mind how it was made. And that's that definitely shades more into the that, that makes it less forgivable as an act of, you know, self-congratulations. Because if you are describing how you did it, you're not just congratulating yourself. Even if the whole book is like, we had these hard problems and we solved them because we were super smart. You're you're passing on your knowledge. You're telling the rest of the world, learn from our lessons, which you can still do with a lot of ego and, you know, back padding. But I think that would offset the look how great we are angle of it. And, um, and like you said, and like many people said, like, and like we talked about with the actual the the new MacBook Pros, the past several shows, it's not so much the thing itself; it's the context into which it's introduced. And so, like Marco said, the timing is bad. And at this point, almost anything you introduce into the context of a certain set of grumpy uh, Apple fans is going to be looked upon with a you know a very critical eye. And people are generally in a bad mood for reasons that are may, some of which may be outside Apple's control whatever like if they've been if they've been building towards this for eight years fine whatever release it like holiday season it's a good gift idea for the apple nerd in your life you know like i i don't fault them i don't think it's that big a deal i just wish it wasn't 300 dollars because i really want this book <laughs> i you know and one thing like i think you nailed it about like you know part of this i think that rubs people the wrong way is the fact that there is there are you know no words or as you said like you know like they have access to the people they could have added a human a more human touch and and it seems like they i mean we haven't read the book yet but from the few sample pages we've seen it really does seem like they didn't you know there's no words in it um and i think if i had to summarize i i guess the the main disappointment i have with apple recently which i think a lot of people feel but might not have put into words is that it seems to just lack humanity recently like it, it and th- I don't. I, this might be a Steve to Tim thing. I don't. I don't know. I, I haven't given a ton of thought to this yet. It's hard to put it into words. But you know, Steve, even though we knew he could be like cold and ruthless uh, to people when he had to be, his public persona, which which really did reflect upon the whole company, you know, to the public, uh, was really quite warm and and human. And we and with with the transition to Tim Cook's Apple. 
uh, and and Johnny Ives Apple, which is you know that's really what, <laughs> this is what this is these days. Uh, Apple, the, the public image that we get, even though most of the same people are still there, but the public image that is shown to us, what gets out, is a lot more cold. And they're like the humanity has been stripped out of it. And as and I think part of what bugged people about things like removing the startup chime on the new MacBook Pros and removing the light up logo on the back is like that's a little bit more of this humanity that's just being pulled out of the products and, and we don't see warmth and humanity as much as we used to anymore. You know, a promo video showing what people are doing with the products is different. It's, it's, do you think it's humanity? I, I do. I, I do think it's humanity. I, I think we I, don't... I would say... Do you don't think whimsy is a better word? Because there's a stronger case for whimsy because humanity, I think of like... Tim Cook is much more into, uh, you know, the the human uh, aspects or social aspects of, of both the products and the company than Steve Jobs ever was. And Tim Cook, in the Tim Cook era, he's the one who's constantly starting presentations with videos about accessibility and people who are being, you know, the human story of being empowered by Apple products. I would call that human, too. But whimsical is, you know, where, like, it is dorky. Maybe, you know, whimsy is just like the the little happy Mac and, and, and the chime and the little poof animation and stuff. Silly things like that seem to not be... Uh, to Johnny Ives' taste, because he's he's not into the poof, right? He's not into the, the the Happy Mac, the smile and the chime. He's into the the iPhone that doesn't even have a logo that you can see when you look at it, right? Um, and Tim Cook is deferring to Johnny Ive in that way, so I think you're right to refer to it as the Tim Cook slash Johnny Ive Apple. So there is definitely less sense of whimsy, uh, and whimsy can be seen as warmth, and his design aesthetic can be thought of as cold. But I think Tim Cook's Apple and Tim Cook in specific specifically are all about humanity, just not about dorkiness and whimsy. Well, yeah, it's I'm not again. I'm not saying that like the company like because we you know the same people are mostly there, right? Especially like at the upper levels, not a lot has changed there. Uh, they you know we we know that they do good. These are good people, and and they do good things for the world, but. You, it doesn't come across it, the the amount of warmth and and you know and maybe humanity might not be exactly the right word. I do think whimsy's part of it, but I don't think whimsy covers all of what I'm what of what I'm missing. What well, what about the ads? Like when they show a lot of their recent ads have been all about showing people using the product. Like remember the one with like the, the kid with his nose buried in his phone during the holidays, uh, the Christmas thing, and at the end he's made the video of them making the stuff. Like or just like the people who are like with your watch, you get up and it's early in the morning, it's still dark out. You lace up your sneakers, you put on your watch, you go out running, or you're running through the rain with your now water resistant phone. Like their ads, even more than they used to be, have been less about glorifying the objects as these beautiful totems of technology as like, look how smooth and sleek it is, which they still do in like the presentations to us. But on television, it's all about the people. It's all about I am a runner. I like to take photographs. I'm on a family vacation. And, you know, buy this device and your kid will be uh, it will look like a sulky teenager. But really, he will be a, a loving, wonderful, creative child, which is false advertising. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's uh wow. he'll just suck and won't actually make a video for you um he's just texting his friends all the time uh th- like the, the ads <laughs> seem to be focusing on again the humanity of uh like that it's not about the products it's about the people and what the products enable the people to do so and again that's you know apple chooses what kind of ads it makes like the advertising company makes them but apple can give them direction um and it is 
less like than you know in the steve jobs era you had a series of commercials that were all about showing you the car the hardware like the lifesavers imax flying across the screen look they're shiny and colored and look at the when the imac se came out it's all sleek and graphite like those were more obsessed obsessed with the objects because that was all about like hey hardware can be fashion and look at these things and i think it started to shift with the ipod where it was like yeah there's silhouettes dancing and you can see the ipod with the white cord but it's all about people dancing and music and at this point they're selling phones by showing you people jogging right so it is so far from i think it is definitely a very human approach uh but again i would say that the product designs themselves uh and what things the company decides to do definitely seem less whimsical and less dorky and i could see that as being say more cold and less warm the ads you know you're right the ads are fine but they're ads they're commercials you know like I, you know i I'm, I'm referring to mostly the products and then some also of the um the presentations you know by the by the actual humans on stage at the events you know so again it's it's hard to to not make this about steve because steve was really good at at really being you know personable up up there on stage and whether it was rehearsed or 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 fake or real or whatever i don't know it didn't matter it's it, it really did come across as genuine and real and and warm and that's what i miss both on stage i don't care about the videos the the use of more and more videos actually to me feels colder uh, it feels more artificial um but you know that's that's beside the point for now all i'm saying is is i i miss this level of warmth that that we used to get from them in these presentations and then i think the the whimsy and the product is part of that i you know that showed in the products and it seems like modern apple is all about really editing that out as as part of a march towards quote simplifying or quote progress but but i we're losing a lot of that and we're, we don't seem to be gaining it in any in, in many areas anymore. It seems like we, the company just moved on past that, and it's just now it's just a lot more like cold and and almost robotic. So this book coming out with all pictures of Johnny Ives robotic tools in stark white backgrounds with no words, I think is kind of a, a like a culmination of of that cold process, and and I, that's what kind of what rubs me the wrong way about about the book and about apple today if i had to summarize it down again i i'm sorry if i'm not expressing this well this is really still a very you know squishy thought in my head but it just i'm trying to put into feel it put into words uh, a a complex feeling that i've been feeling over a while but i i just miss that warmth that we used to that we used to get whether it was real or not uh from from both steve and the products that i think we're really missing a lot of that recently so if you were to get this book, and if it was chronological, which I'm not sure that it is, but if it is chronological, you could flip through it and watch the whimsy slowly drain out of the products as you start with <laughs> with tangerine IMAX and all these brightly colored things that it, like, you know, the, the toilet uh, seat uh, iBooks and all these things that just look so exciting and Dr. Susie and slowly but surely everything turns silver and glass and uniform and not shiny and not matte and just in betweeny and you know just it smooths out um which i you know i I like both those aesthetics that's why i think like this book is this book highlights some of apple's best work in terms of industrial design because it does include all the way from you know the 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 vibrancy of the uh, original imax and even like the 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 one with the big neck and all the other stuff all the way up to the modern era of everything being sleek and clean those are both great aesthetics but chronologically speaking 
you know, you can see the trend. I could just read the book backwards and make myself feel really happy. <laughs> he could Benjamin button it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm, I agree with you, Marco. I, I just can't shake this feeling that Apple is reluctantly moving closer and closer to being the IBM that they fought so hard against when, when you and I were like really little. Let's not go crazy here. Well, no, I, I, <laughs> I don't think they're there, but if you look at the IBM of the early to mid eighties, probably even late eighties, it was not boring, but it certainly it did not have whimsy. And I would not say that Apple's products today are boring, but any such an imagination, but I agree that they've lost some of that. And I actually think humanity is a, is a good word for it. If a bit overblown, but I, I can't come up with a better one. And I think I like humanity more than whimsy, but anyway, it, it just doesn't feel as, happy-go-lucky as it used to. And I think part of that is being is is no longer being the underdog and is now being king of the hill, which maybe that's our perception. Maybe it's that because we perceive them as king of the hill, we perceive them as boring and they're anything but. But I don't know. I don't I don't think that's the case. And and I agree with you. And it's funny because on the one side I I love the look of the new MacBook Pro, at least in, in photographs. I haven't seen one in person yet, but in, in photographs, it looks phenomenal. I, I, I love it. I, I think it looks really great. And I think that's in part because, you know, a very black aesthetic appeals to me. But yet I I miss the fun of all these different colored iMacs. You know, it, it the, the computers that I saw running around campus when I was in school in the early 2000s, they just looked fun. And I wouldn't say a new MacBook Pro looks fun. It looks really damn good. It looks more aesthetically good, I'd say, than perhaps any other um, laptop on the market today. And in fact, I've said before, and I'll say again, this iPhone 7 I'm holding in my hands right now, this, this um, matte black iPhone 7, I think is the best looking iPhone I've seen yet. However, I wouldn't say it looks fun despite it looking really good and i miss that kind of fun aspect yeah and this and i'm not saying the products are bad or like the products are in many ways better than ever now you know like by by most measures most of the products are better than ever they're still good products in many ways they're still great products but but again it's just like it's this this feeling that i'm missing that i that we used to have here and and maybe i'm just old and jaded and boring i i don't know uh, maybe i'm just mad about the mac pro still i, I don't know but but this I, I it just feels like i'm missing this feeling i'm not well i am old and jaded but i'm not jaded about the mac pro specifically and <laughs> there we go and i'm not jaded at the, about the macbook pro specifically and i i do largely agree with you that it just it it's not as fun as it once was and again maybe is that just by virtue of them being no longer the underdog so so you know it's fun to root for the underdog it's not fun to root for the king of the hill so maybe it's misplaced maybe the problem is us but but i agree with you nevertheless i think the design trend that i just described from the the more whimsical computers that uh, varied more widely in shape and color and texture and everything about them to the current design is a natural consequence of the advance of the technology because as we acquire the technology to 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 make the products that we have now that you know in the case of iDevices are essentially rectangles that are screens that get increasingly thinner and for the case of laptops a screen rectangle and then a rectangle with a keyboard and an increasingly large trackpad your options for industrial design uh start to be in conflict with the advances that you're you know reaping the benefits of actually being able to make it smaller like if you look at the size of the 
the plastic that surrounds the screen on on the toilet seat IMAX, it is is vast, right? And that allows you to make this cool looking, strange oblong kind of purse like design and everything. And it gives you the room to make those big scoops and colors and contrasts. But there is no there is no more room for that in a world where it's basically a screen with the margins slowly shrinking around it, or like the the laptops, you know, getting thinner and thinner and smaller and tighter and tighter. And you know why fight that the correct direction is aesthetically speaking to say embrace that and embrace an aesthetic that can work with increasingly svelte devices um and that is yet another reason to add to the list of why the mac pro would be great because the mac pro does not have a screen on it you do have the freedom to make it they can make it shaped like a soccer ball it can be shaped like a spiral apparently it can be shaped like a garbage can it can be shaped like a cheese grater it actually gives them the most options in terms of industrial design because they are no longer constrained by the fact that you have to carry it and that making it smaller and thinner and lighter is such a benefit in the long run that they can't afford to put a giant plastic handle on it and a huge three-inch border around the entire screen because that's ridiculous like no one wants that anymore it's it looks old and it is old and it's bad but when it sits on your desk or under your desk a lot more options open up and so it's just another reason that it would be a shame if they totally gave up that form factor or if they said even in that form factor, you want it to be as small and, and minimal as possible. And so that's how you get the current Mac Mini and the Apple TV, which are just the most, you know, it's and it's not appropriate, I think, for those things to be, well, maybe the Apple TV, because that should be boring because you don't even see it. But the Mac Mini, you can have a little bit more fun with that, maybe. Put some vents and strakes on it, make it look like a Ferrari. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but there's no reason for it to be as boring as it is. But there are reasons for the phone to be as boring as it is and for the laptops to be not as boring, but like for them to look like they do. I think there are very good reasons for them to do that. And I think if they, had, if they had tried to keep the old aesthetic while going along with the March of technology that allows you to make them thinner and lighter, it would be a bad tension between those two things. You can't make a modern laptop that looks like the toilet seat iBook. You just can't. It would, it would, it's not the right design approach. Back then it was, now it's not. Now you could take the current ones and make them in candy apple red with the same form factor, making like polished, glossy candy apple red, and that would be fun. But it's still, you know, like c- color and texture is basically all they have left to play with because shape wise, it's not like they're going to be adding fins and strakes, uh, you know, tail fins on the next uh, iPad Pro or whatever. Yeah, I agree. Like, th- why couldn't we have all the colors of the 5C on the 7? You know, because those were fun, I thought. And and I think they they appealed to a lot of people that perhaps weren't as, you know, technically minded in terms of, of stats and like having to have the latest and greatest. I still see 5Cs floating around from time to time. So why not have that color range on the top of the line phone? Well, because it's not proper. I mean, I don't know. I just I, I do kind of miss that, even though even though on the one side, I wouldn't ever pick any of those i guess this is my halo car like i don't really see the need for a mac pro and i'm not trying to open up that conversation again but to me i don't see the need for a mac pro but i do like i would notice a array of colors on the iphone 7 and be pleased that they exist even though there was no freaking way i would choose anything but matte black or maybe jet black i guess like the naked robotic car again it's like you in real life you see phones that are all sorts of colors that's just not the color of the phone it's the color of people's cases i see phone cases a huge range of colors textures sizes features ones that you can put your credit card into ones that have a place for a stylist to go into like there's a huge things with mirrors on the back of them they just think clamshell ones ones with the covers you know just huge range but that's apple's not doing any of that they're just giving you the naked robotic core 
This episode is sponsored by Audible.com with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free 30-day trial at Audible.com slash ATP. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. You can listen to audiobooks from virtually every genre, anytime, anywhere. You can play Audible's audiobooks on every device you have. Phones, tablets, computers, even iPods, if you still have an iPod. Audiobooks are great for flights, long road trips, or even your daily commute. You may think you don't have time to read books, but you'd be surprised how many audiobooks you can hear each year, even when listening to and from work every day. Audiobooks bring books to life. Many of them are read by the authors themselves, adding an extra dimension to the text. And you can take risks and try new authors and genres without regret with Audible, because they offer the great listen guarantee. If you start an audiobook and don't like it, you can exchange it for another one for free. See and listen for yourself today. When you begin your 30-day free trial, you get your first audiobook for free, and there's no stress or obligation. You can cancel your membership at any time. So with audiobooks and spoken word audio products, you will find what you're looking for with audible.com. Get a free 30-day trial by signing up today at audible.com slash ATP. That's audible.com slash ATP. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring our show. We've been putting off for a long time talking about this uh, Microsoft Surface Studio, and I think that we should probably talk about the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> we don't actually have to do that, but I couldn't resist. No, we, we should we should do the Surface Studio first. And in fact, That's it's fine. been it's been so long since the Surface Studio event, whatever the heck that was, that I think we need the uh, chief summarizer in chief to remind everyone what the hell the Microsoft Surface Studio is. <laughs> what if the chief summarizer in chief doesn't remember anymore? No, I, I, I can wing it. Uh, so this was, I don't re- recall exactly what it was, but it was a few weeks ago that um, Microsoft had some sort of product demo where they uh, debuted the Surface Studio, which at first appeared to be an iMac. In many ways, it just seemed like an iMac. An iMac, but, well, I guess I should say an iMac and a Mac Mini, right? Because it's the screen of an iMac, it appeared. It's 28 inches. And this and the computer bits are in a base that looks very much like a Mac Mini. It's all black and aluminum, or at least aluminum colored. And it all looks very snazzy. And I don't mean that sarcastically. It really honestly does look good. Um, and at first, it was like, okay, great, you're doing an iMac. Woo-woo. But then they mentioned that, oh, this is a touchscreen, a 28-inch touchscreen. And suddenly people start to go, hmm, okay, tell me more. Uh, And then the real party trick happened, which was Microsoft explained why there are two arms going from the Mac Mini to the iMac. And those arms allow you, from what they showed, allow you to very uh, effortlessly turn this iMac into kind of an easel. So it's at a very, very shallow angle such that you could use it as though it's a writing surface. And it has with it their equivalent of an Apple Pencil. And even more importantly, it has, or maybe not more importantly, but differently, it also has a surface dial. And so what this is, is a little puck sort of thing it's actually not on that dissimilar from the uh, puck mouse that everyone hated but much taller and you can sit that on your desk and you can spin it in order to i don't know change volume or get different you know um 
tools as you're using the pen, but where it gets even cooler still, and you have to understand that this hinge that they have genuinely is, is really neat. It looks really, really clever. But what's cooler still about the Surface Dial, this puck, is that you can drop this thing right on the display, and the display recognizes that it's there and where it is and allows you to treat that as another control surface. So... In in the way that the naked robotic core is the like most pure realization of what what somebody would want for a computing device, you know, the, 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 of what Apple would want for an iPhone. I think not that this is a naked robotic core, but I feel like this is the most pure realization of what Microsoft hopes for for this world that to me is a little bizarro, where you have a touch based or touch uh, permitted, if nothing else, desktop OS. So Microsoft's strategy for many years now with its Windows thing, especially as the Windows phone stuff has been fading, um, has been to have a single OS for all their platforms. And because that single OS uh, has part of its family tree is phones and tablet type devices that, of course, it supports touch, which is why you can do touch in Windows with you know Windows 8 that started uh, and they're up to Windows 10 now. And so they've been changing Windows to be an interface that you can use with a mouse and a keyboard, you can use with a pen, you can use with your fingers. And they've been doing this for a long time and to varying results. I know some people have the, the Microsoft Surface, their tablet product that is basically like, you can use it like a PC with a keyboard attached to it because it's got a hinge thing. You can use it kind of like a tablet. If you're using it like a laptop, you can also just poke your finger at the screen, which I'm sure we've all seen this. Many people just expect to be able to do that, especially younger people or anyone even who just uses a touch device for a long time they'll switch from an environment where they're using a tablet or a phone to a laptop and instinctively touch the screen. I know I used to do it with Kindles before the touchscreen Kindles because I spent so much time with iPads. I would touch the screen to try to do something on a Kindle and of course nothing would happen because they were totally inert. Like there was no, this is before the touch sensitive ones. It is natural to get into that habit and Microsoft has built an entire interface strategy around the idea that all form of input are welcome then it should be supported and they've been changing they've been changing windows to not require a perfectly precise mouse pointer or even a stylus to do things to try to make bigger chunkier controls and gestures and stuff like that and this surface studio is the biggest this has gotten because previously it was like you, know, you get tablets and you got these convertible laptopy things that are like a tablet with a keyboard and yeah of course you can touch the screen and um and they have the pen input and all that stuff but this is like 28 inches is like this is not a big tablet. This is a full-size, bigger than most people have, because most people do not have 20-inch screens on their PCs. Full-size, personal computer, running Windows. It doesn't pretend to be a tablet. You can't take it off and carry it like a tablet. It's not a big phone. <laughs> like, it is a personal computer um, that has all the normal input modes you would want, including a pen, but then also accepts not just touch, but like, stop thinking of it as like, I'm touching the screen, but more like, uh, removing indirection because the, the mouse and the keyboard are indirect input devices uh and they're they're wonderful input devices and they're very precise um and especially the mouse i feel like is the least indirect of indirect input devices because if you've used a mouse for any appreciable amount of time the indirection disappears very quickly you don't feel like you're driving the mouse versus like say you had a joystick if you had a joystick you would feel like you're driving the mouse cursor around the screen like it's a little car to get to the things you want but if you have a mouse you just basically feel like you're grabbing things on the screen and yes it is indirect and you're not touching it. it is not as direct as touching the screen as anyone who uses an ipad or an iphone knows it's not that kind of direct but it is like really good video game controls in that 
very quickly it disappears and you stop thinking about the control and just start thinking about the task but the ultimate direct input is like literal direct input as in you see something on the screen you manipulate it on the screen with your hands and your fingers or your pen like the same way you would in the pre-computer age if you're doing something that involves putting marks on a piece of paper or shuffling things around put marks on the piece of paper or shuffle things around like do it don't move (laughs) something that moves another thing on a screen that represents the things you're moving around just get right on that screen and this thing tilting down to like a a drafting table type uh you know uh, angle saying like if you're not doing text input you're not writing a program but instead you're doing anything having to do with visual arts or anything like that turn it down set aside your your keyboard and your mouse for now and just get right on there on that screen it's a huge screen just get right on there you got a pen you got your fingers you got the little dialy thing i can imagine them adding more types of tools to that that to me is the culmination of their strategy of allowing all forms of input by saying here's a form of input not only do we accept all forms of input it's like oh you can't decide you should concentrate on one it's kind of weird to type and then use a mouse but also touch the screen make your mind am i clicking the button with the mouse cursor i'm touching it with my finger am i drawing with a pen what am i doing there are many tasks in which directly interacting with a gigantic screen is the best interface the the, the tasks where you put aside all those other tools and say i just want to get right to it and obviously they you know they're showing like art and stuff like that is the, the most obvious one and this is their first crack at this so maybe it's not as good as it could be people have said that there's too much parallax because your pen is too far away from like where the pixels are and that there's lag in some of the applications but i really feel like this is almost inevitably the the future of digital art whether microsoft is going to be the future of digital art i don't know but like we've gone through the whole thing of using uh, you know using mice to using uh you know tablets that are an indirect input device to you know the wacom cintiq which is like a tablet that's also the screen and it's like just just keep going because people love all those tools and they get used to those tools but direct input if you can raise a generation with the expectation that you do your artwork on a giant 28 inch monitor by directly uh manipulating it that that's gonna win in the end whether micro whether it's microsoft or somebody else um and microsoft getting there first is it's nice to see even if this is a product is not great and it should be worrying to apple because apple doesn't have anything to compete with this like at all um and i don't think apple can say we really believe that the future of doing digital art is using a cintiq because apple doesn't make those either we really believe the future of art is using a mouse or doing everything on you know they have ipads all right, so where's your 28-inch iPad that doesn't that you need to plug into the wall? Like, whatever Apple's going to do, I'm not saying they have to make Macs touchscreen or anything, but if they care at all, which maybe they don't, about the creative arts that involve drawing things, even things from, like, I can imagine CAD or architectural drawings, not just fine arts and, and uh, illustration and stuff like that, uh, they need to be doing something about this. And I was so excited when they came out with the iPad Pro. It was like, yeah, that's what I was talking about. You need a really big iPad um and if you go back to listen to all those shows from years and years ago i think at some point i did talk about the whole drafting table thing i think we talked about it on on this very podcast but also on hypercritical this is it microsoft made it before apple did apple did make their ipad bigger but they took a long time to do it and they didn't make it bigger bigger uh and the idea of an <laughs> ipad that you can't take off your desk i, I remember being laughed at perhaps on this show perhaps on other ones like well what the hell's the point of an ipad if you can't move it anywhere this this is the point this is the thing so i am super proud of microsoft uh for making this i hope they keep at it i hope they don't say well not a lot of people bought these because i guarantee you not a lot of people are going to buy this because it's really expensive and it's like the first generation product and 
you know, truth be told, most people don't do fine arts on their computer, right? But I think this is the right idea for that class of problems. Um, and if Apple cares about that class of problems, if Apple cares about keeping those creatives, and I think they totally think they should, because they are another branch of sort of the founding bedrock of Apple's products, like creative professionals, they need to start putting the air pump into those iPads and cranking up pronto because <laughs> uh, if they don't, someone else is going to get there first. Do you have any idea how much I wanted Reebok pumps as a kid? My goodness. I wanted those so bad. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I really, I really admire this. Like you said, John, I also think that this solves a class of problems that I just don't have, which, which I mean, you kind of said as well, but I, I've, I have a Slack team that I'm in that's a handful of people that are either current or former employees of my last employer, the consulting gig. And we were actually, I feel like we have very cyclical conversations. And one of them is, oh, are touchscreen devices stupid or not? And since most of these people are, are Windows developers, most of them have touchscreen Windows laptops. And all of them swear, oh, my God, Casey, you have no idea. It's so good. And that very well could be the case. Maybe it is that good. But having used a handful of touchscreen laptops, admittedly, very, very briefly, I have yet to really have it click. I've yet to say, oh, oh, yeah, this does make sense. And maybe given given a fair shot, maybe it would. But I don't feel like I want a touchscreen computer to begin with. And now you're saying, well, why wouldn't you? Well, you know, why not have a touchscreen iMac? If I was an artist, heck yes. But as me? Nah, no thanks. It's a cool thing to look at. But you don't want a touchscreen laptop. Like when you phrase it that way, like, no, no, no. Who wants who wants a touchscreen? I'm just saying people find themselves compelled to touch a screen. But no, like those things, the Surface, I would say, is not a touchscreen laptop. It is a tablet with a keyboard. Apple makes one of those already. It's called the iPad. <laughs> it that, that's not The iPad is not a touchscreen laptop. It is a tablet that comes with a keyboard. And you think, like, what's the difference? Well, they're both... They're both basically the same in use. Like it's they're open at the same angle. There's a keyboard horizontally and a screen kind of vertically. And yes, you can touch the screen, but you use them in such different ways. Like, oh well, when I'm just using it with my hands, it's just an iPad. But then when I want to do typing, I use the keyboard. Like, I don't know what you want to call that, but phrasing it as a laptop with a keyboard sounds like, oh well, I don't want to be poking my finger. It's, it's not comfortable, as Apple's pointed out a million times, to, to poke at a vertical screen. It's better to use the indirect input devices. But I think it's looking at it the wrong way. It's, it's taking the old, the old thing and saying, I'm taking the old thing and modifying it by adding a touchscreen. When we take the new thing, which is a tablet, and modify it by adding back a keyboard, everyone's okay with it. And it's basically the same result. And this thing, the Surface Studio, I think is it's like, this is not a touchscreen laptop. This is also not a touchscreen iMac. Because an iMac doesn't lay down on the table for you. Like, there's no <laughs> way in hell you want a touchscreen iMac. You can't draw on, a t- on an iMac. The thing does, it only tilts like 15 degrees. And most of them are, you know, it's, it's close to straight up and down the whole time. That is not the Surface Studio. The key feature of the Surface Studio is it says, when you want to do the thing, like just like an iPad, when you just want to use it like an iPad, you don't need the keyboard. And the Surface Studio is like, when you want to do stuff that doesn't involve text input at all, like you're drawing a picture and doing architectural drawings or like manipulating lines or things in space or whatever and you don't have to use the keyboard lay the whole thing down i think like in the pictures they have it like laying down on top of the keyboard like you don't even have to see the keyboard it's not there anymore it's like it's the same way the keyboard goes away when you use your ipad like i'm not using the keyboard part of my ipad now i'm just using the ipad part of it and that's in a portable context this is the just simply the desktop equivalent of that so i'm not sure what you want to call it and it is weird that apple's most likely response to this would have to be an ios device and not a mac 
uh, which is strange because as we've talked about in the past, Apple's thus far their inability to really get pro level applications to flourish on iOS devices, whereas they're still kind of doing okay on the Mac. Like that's Apple's challenge to solve. But I'm just saying, like writ large, you know, I've always you know the future of computing, direct manipulation for tasks that require it on a big, gigantic, awesome screen. Uh, the only way that's not going to happen is if a, a VR and AR advance to the point where this approach never has its chance to be in, uh, you know, it never has its day in the sun. Because AR and VR, if they get good enough, make having a big giant thing that lights up in front of you like archaic. But I feel like there will be a time before AR and VR get good where it will be the time of the gigantic touch screens that lay down in front of you. Um, and when I'm super old and I'm, you know, doing computing stuff that doesn't involve typing, I would like to have a big, gigantic, gorgeous screen laid down in front of me so that I can do stuff on it and also have a keyboard for when I do text input and also have speech recognition and also have a bunch of things like pens and stuff I could do on it. I'm, I'm ready for the Microsoft Surface Studio uh, with 20 years in advancement, probably also not made by Microsoft. <laughs> you know, one thing you mentioned uh, briefly earlier, John, is like if they stick with this, uh, and that's because like, Microsoft you know, they throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall. They they change strategies often, uh, and, and they change desktop initiatives often. This product line, like many other things Microsoft has tried in recent years, might not be good enough for them. It might not sell well enough, or it, it might not get enough software support. It, it won't sell well enough. But, like, don't you see this as, as a, like, the trend? Like, they've spent all these years making a single OS that accepts all these kinds of input. Like, that's not like a fluke. That's not like, like, that's what they've been doing. And that's what gives them the option to do things like this. I feel like this, like I said, is, is, this is the culmination of years and years and years of work. You can't make this on day one. You have to do all the work to make the unified Windows that does all the kinds of input, to change the Windows UI to even be usable with touch, to make the device that has a pen that, you know, that looks like a laptop with a touch screen. You have to do years and years of that before you can make this thing. So I feel like it's not a fluke. Um, sticking with it merely means maybe they will retreat from making their own PCs. Like maybe they will retreat back to the surface or retreat back to tablet or phone size things or get out of that business entirely and just do Microsoft Azure and then license windows to clone makers. We don't know, but I don't, (laughs) I, I don't think like they're going to say, Oh, actually touching the screen is not a big deal because they've just spent so long coming to this point. Like that I feel like they worked hard to, to be able to produce a machine like this. And this one won't sell well enough to, be significant but i think i really think they will take a second and a third crack of it and when i think of the best of microsoft i think of oh that pains me to say this i think of the, of the company <laughs> that made the xbox which was a gigantic uh you know ugly piece of crap but they stuck with it and every new xbox they've made has been better than the previous one hey that first xbox was a really good system but no i mean like so <laughs> xbox is huge lol yep um no, I, I think just because they've they've built in all this all this capability for things like touch and, and pen input, you know, if if you would have looked at the TV market five years ago, you would have thought that three D TVs were just what everybody wanted, and they were taking off like crazy, and that the, no, obviously nobody ever thought that obviously the future <laughs> of TV was was going to be three D, but because if you looked at every TV, every high-end to even mid-range TV you could buy in a store, they were all 3D-supported TVs. But in practice, that the reason that feature was being put there was because a stagnant industry was trying to add more hardware things to make people upgrade because they weren't upgrading their TVs fast enough. So Microsoft's been putting in all this 
crazy capability and stuff into the service line, all these different input methods and everything else, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's using them or that or that this will be what people how people will use their their microsoft computers in the future it might turn out that way but just because the capabilities there just because microsoft is building all this support into everything is building this hardware that doesn't mean that pc users are going to meaningfully adopt this they again they might but that's not a foregone conclusion. No, it's not, it's not PC users that are buying this. It is creative professionals specifically, which is a tiny market. And out of those people, they're not going to buy it because this is like this is like you trying to enter a market that another that another uh, company owns, or like there there is already a way to set way to do things, and you have a totally different way to do it. Some people are going to try it, but professionals are the least likely to change their ways, even if they're already using a Microsoft Windows PC running Photoshop with a tablet whether it's a cintiq or just a, a plain old tablet even those people aren't going to buy the surface studio except for on a lark or to be curious about it because they're set in their ways using their microsoft windows pc running adobe photoshop with a tablet and they've been doing that their whole career and that's what they like and maybe they're curious about this but it's not a big deal but the thing about the future is this is if they stick with it and keep selling this even though they're not making money on it because not enough people buy it eventually i think the market will come around to it because people who start out new might be interested in it and try it out and they never got used to using uh uh you know a, a non-light-up tablet or the people who use cintiqs might view this as a better cintiq until they try it and realize actually the cintiq is a little bit better because it's got all these buttons on it they're used to and so on and so <laughs> forth like it's going to be a long road and the the other x factor is that people don't like windows or marco doesn't like it anyway some yeah. people don't like windows <laughs> believe, it or, believe it or not um and so those people who don't like Windows are going to be like, well, this is, looks great and all, but I don't like Windows, so I'm not going to do that. All, all the professionals who are using Macs, for example, I use Photoshop on a Mac with the Wacom tablet or whatever. Like, uh, even just talking to, um, seeing the tweets from uh, Dr. Wave on, on Twitter, like, isn't this perfect with Pixar? It's like, well, actually, at Pixar, people who have these giant tablets to draw on to do their 3D work, they're on, like, articulated arms. And so it's a non-starter for this thing to just be on a simple hinge that goes on a desk. Like, this is just one product. And that it doesn't it's not as flexible as the products they're already using, and they already have a system that works. And so this may be novel and interesting, but it's not it doesn't work for Pixar, right? But this is this is early days. This is a single product from a single company with lots of caveats that are associated with it. Uh, so I'm not I'm not gonna say that this is going to make Microsoft the king of the creative professionals, but they do have a head start on people, and if they keep iterating on this product and this idea and this concept for years and years and years and keep going with this whole OS strategy with touch and maybe make Windows a little bit nicer in the process, um, and no one else does anything, because who else is there? It's not like Linux is going to take over the creative professional market, right? Uh, it's them and Apple, basically, at this point. Uh, and if Apple doesn't move it gives microsoft time to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail over and over again and eventually they'll get pretty decent and they'll basically win by default if apple never makes an ipad bigger than 12.5 inches and never makes a mac like this thanks much for our three sponsors this week betterment audible and squarespace and we will see you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental. accidental Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-F-M
Bless, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. Do you want to talk about um, Sal Segoyan? I'm sorry if that's not how you pronounce it. I haven't had time to research. Um, th- this news broke a couple hours before we started recording uh, that um, Sal Segoyan, uh, who uh, he was, he was the um, apparently the product manager, uh, the head of of macOS automation technologies. So that would include things like Apple Script, uh, Apple Events, uh, Automator, uh, and apparently he has he has been let go of Apple. His position has been eliminated. So that basically, it sure seems like Apple is no longer going to have a head of automation of, of apps on macOS. And a lot of uh, longtime Mac users are taking this news uh, to, to be possibly a pretty bad sign. Do we want to talk about this? I mean, we haven't really had time to look into it much. I, I, I looked into it, and I, and I know Sal from uh, by reputation and by all the WWC sessions I've seen with him, and I've, I've met him in person a couple of times. Although I'm sure he doesn't remember me, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have too. He looks very familiar. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those people you recognize. Um, there are a couple aspects of it. One is that Sal is just a very nice, gregarious, charismatic, smart person. He's got charisma. You see him, and especially if you're a nerd and you're like attracted to smart people, right? Who are interesting and dynamic and have have opinions and can express them well. Um, that's Sal. So. People who are longtime Apple fans and who have, you know, known him professionally or by reputation or by his products or presentations are sad to see somebody that everybody liked uh, not be at the company anymore. Right. That's so that that's an, uh, you know, unquestionable aspect of this entire thing, because if he was a jerk that everybody hated, this would not be as big a story. Right. And then the other part is what, what you just said about automation, automation on the Mac, which people just shorten to say, like, oh, Sal, he's that Apple script guy. That's a reasonable summary of him if you want to go there, but there's much more to it than that. You can read all the stuff on his uh, his website. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's not just Apple Script. There's also shell scripting and Apple events that Apple Scripting is based on. You can do it in all sorts of different languages, and there's the, the tooling in, involved with that. Even as recently as like last year or the year before that, they finally added like library slash framework support for Apple Script, so you could write Apple Script libraries and use them. Like Apple Script was kind of stuck in amber for a long time, not really getting any better, but not really getting any worse. But was still an essential part of so many professionals' workflows, like that they would use AppleScript to automate the things that they did, and it was important to them for their professional applications they were using to have AppleScript support to be able to do this. Automator in, in you know in the OS ten age was this another thing like let regular people uh, design sets of actions without having to be programmers. You know, so Automator would let you string together do this and do that and do that without having to like learn a language, even a language as, as simple as Apple script. Uh, and his position being eliminated. I don't know enough about the internal rearrangement, but it could just be that like the division is merged with some other division. There was another person that Apple likes better who's heading that division. So he's out and that person is in, but it could also be that, and this would totally fit with Apple's recent moves, as <laughs> in neglecting the Mac Pro and having difficulty making Pro apps and canning Aperture and all that other stuff, that they see using uh, a user is creating automations 
in anything even approaching a programmer-like environment, whether it be HyperCard, uh, rest in peace, or Automator, or <laughs> writing Apple scripts and scales, that is not the future of computing. It's too complicated. Regular people don't want to do it. The professionals who want to do it are really causing more problems for themselves than they're solving, and really they should just allow us to define the workflows by hard-coding them into our applications, or just buy another application that does what they want and stop trying to program it or whatever. Therefore, having an automation division and a product manager of automation that's not the future of the company. That's not the future of the Mac. We don't need that anymore. It's a waste of time and resources, and it's holding back our other approaches. That's like the doomsday scenario. The most pessimistic scenario is that automation is being de-emphasized in the same way that writing batch scripts would be de-emphasized or, or you know, having to write programs yourself would be de-emphasized, right? Um, and in some, it makes some sense. Like the, the march of progress has been de-emphasizing the need for people who use computers to do stuff like that. It used to be that you had to enter your programs by typing them from the back of a magazine in basic. And that's how you got your program to run. Right. And no one does that anymore. Now we have the app store. Right. Um, and a lot of the things that we used to use automation for hopefully uh, are mooted by the fact that programs are just better or the internet does it better, or even something as simple as, as like, uh, what is the thing for, uh, iOS workflows? Yeah. Workflow. Right. Uh, it's a third-party opportunity. Workflow is just fine. Apple doesn't need to do it. We just need to provide the capabilities. And Apple Events itself, you can't argue with the fact that Apple Events is pretty damn old and creaky. Uh, this, it, you know, it could be that it's all being replaced by some bold new vision of automation for the modern age in the same way that Apple Script replaced everything that came before it. Uh, but as with all things in Apple, we don't know. It's a big black hole. We have no idea what they're planning. Uh, we just have fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And once again, this is all in the context of uh apple fans being grumpy for a bunch of related reasons so it can feel bad but i'm not entirely ready to go all doom and gloom on this just because it, it could just be that it's time to turn on a new page because sal and all the techs tech that he was working on and, and the, especially the foundational tech like apple events has never really felt like it has fit into the os 10 world um so best case scenario they're rethinking this all and saying what does automation mean you know from here going forward does it mean apple events or is there a better overall system for automating things on the computers in worst case tim cook says automating things is stupid we don't need to do that anymore people should just tap their meaty little fingers on screens and not worry about it yeah i never really i never really wrote much apple script um i did real early on when i had first gotten my mac to do I don't know, like some silly basic things. I forget exactly what it was for, but it was like maybe setting a default printer or something like that. And this was like in 2008-ish. And I personally have never really gone back and had a need to write more. Now, I know there's tons of people who write it a lot um, and, and use it heavily. But for me, this this is not something I'm terribly worried about and not something that I use terribly often. But it also does make me a little bit sad if this is a canary in a coal mine uh, in the coal mine for automation in, in OS or Mac OS. It would bum me out if that went away. But I, I wouldn't say it would necessarily affect my day to day either. I mean, it's more about like it. it's a it's a very, very powerful set of features you know what apple script the language is kind of you know that's just the implementation detail of it there's but the the system on which it's based uh that exposes apple events and and control of app, of applications automation of, of other applications you know through this entire api that can be any language you need it to be and there's there's many things uh that that expose it to as different languages like um like i think js talk uh, makes it javascript and there's i think there's a few other things like that um you know it's it's more this 
that 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 feature set, while it is used by probably a very tiny percentage of Mac users, uh, the amount of power it gives is so great that you know this really Mac OS. One of the things I love so much about Mac OS is that it is just so incredibly powerful. I mean that deeply. Like it is incredibly powerful if you know how to how to how to use its power like there is an there it is it is in every sense of the word a true workstation os you know as i said in my in my mac pro post like os 10 is awesome and to remove or or to to let rot or to deprecate a major area of of power from it i can see why people are worried about that and john you know i agree it it, it does seem like Things are moving away from that, in, from that direction in consumer software design, mostly by Apple's doing. By the way, uh, so, you know, it's, it's not like the whole industry doing this; mostly Apple doing this. Uh, but it was, in many ways, theirs to lose. You know, they really had amazing automation features uh, that were fairly accessible to people. Like programmers will always find ways to automate things. Uh, the most extreme power users will always find ways to, to automate things. But one of the things that made this area of, of OS X so powerful is that it was really quite accessible to lots of people. A whole lot of people who are not programmers were able to use things like Automator to, to automate really, you know, really time-consuming tasks that, that then freed them up to, to have the computer do what computers are supposed to do. You know, the, the kind of power that usually you have to be a programmer to have, many people were given this power by, the, by this system and this infrastructure. So... The loss of it, I, I think, is certainly cause for concern if if you love the Mac operating system as much as I do for for the for this power that it's always had. And you know, as I said, like I'll be fine because I'm a programmer. I can use Bash and script something up, or actually write a, write an app to do things if I need to automate them, which I do all the time. Uh, I hardly ever use these technologies because I usually just write shell scripts and stuff instead. But a lot of people use these, I think. And even, again, percentage-wise, I'm sure it's very small. But that's still, that still could be, like, thousands of people who rely on this to to save them, like, hours of time a week or to do something that would just be impractical to do otherwise. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I feel that we're in this. That, that being said, we still, there's a lot about this that we still don't know. You know, all we know is that this, this guy, was, his job was cut, apparently. We don't know why. We don't know, you know, maybe they're just re- you know, reorganizing the department uh, of whatever it's in. I don't, I don't know how this is organized inside. Maybe, the, maybe it's just, you know, a reorg. Maybe it's like, you know, weird cost-cutting measures that maybe they could, might come back to later. Who knows? It, 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 maybe it was just like a personal conflict. Maybe there's a new team doing basically like maybe all of a sudden there's overlap because, right. you know, we have this automation system, but maybe the Swift people are like, oh, I totally want you to be able to script your applications with Swift and we have this project and then maybe that project wins. And so this will be the legacy version of automation and then the Swift one will come. Another one I was thinking about in terms of how do you get people who can't program to be able to do simple automation stuff. Um, I always feel like the people who are good at using Automator and AppleScript are either basically programmers already and they don't know it. Or could be programmers within 15 minutes. Because to use, even though Automator is way easier than coding, the people who use it as part of their job, they they eventually can't avoid basically becoming programmers. They don't know they're programmers. They think they just click buttons. But they're learning conditionals, loops, logic, uh, input, output. Like, they're just learning what programmers would consider to be 
an awful programming language was just clicking a bunch of buttons around, right? Which is like, let me just write the code, right? But that's... Right. that's See, also, you know, Excel wizards. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but another way you could do that is how do you... How, how do you get non-programmers to be able to make their computer to do busy work that programmers know how to make them do? Another way to do it would be to have a conversation with the computer and describe what you want to have the computer do it. So a much, 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 much more advanced Siri. <laughs> you could say, um, Siri, let's have a discussion. Uh, I want you to take all the... When, when photos arrive in this folder, I want you to take all of them <laughs> Siri, let's have and a rename them. Yeah. Rename them with the date and uh and you know tag them with this label and put them into this folder or something something you could do with hazel or with automator resize them all to be this size or whatever blah blah blah. and siri would go back and forth do you mean like this giving you a preview of what you were going to say okay if i was to do it this is what i would do does this look like what you wanted like all it would be doing behind the scenes is using the automation machinery that's already there and all of the automation you're able to do for like images easy because they have so many tools for like resizing images or or, you know, changing the EXIF data or renaming files. Like, that's all easy to do. All you need to do is figure out a way to express to the computer what you want. And if you can have a conversation with even a pretty stupid Siri that is nevertheless hundreds of times smarter than it is now, uh, to go back and forth, eventually Siri could figure out, essentially, here's the automator action you would have built, only we built it together by having a conversation. That is certainly a much more advanced, much brighter, and I think attainable future of letting normal people automate stuff so for all we know maybe the future automation is all wrapped up in the siri team and they have grand plans to do that Uh, i wish them luck because so far they haven't really shown me anything but it could be done um and so maybe you know like like i said we don't know what's going on apple it it could just be a reorg it could just be a merging type thing um but i i have i have hope that even if apple has decided that every single technology that Sal lists on his website is the past of automation, that I have some hope that Apple believes that there is something else that is the future of automation. Because like you said, Marco, people want to use their computers to do complicated things. But if they're not programmers and don't want to become programmers, that we have to find a way to let them do that, like a gentler slope to get them to be able to do that. Because they will be happier with their computers and will find them more indispensable, even if they could perform something as simple as, uh, you know, when I get an email like this, extract the image attachment, put it in this folder, rename it this way, uh, and then send me a text message about it or do whatever. Like when you show normal people that they can make something like that work, they think it is the greatest thing in the world because they're you know they're basically like you know, as someone said in the chat room, it's like the gateway drug to programming. Only they never actually go through the gate; they just stay outside of it and go, "This is great. My computer <laughs> does what I want," um, which which I think is great. So I I think there's still need for non-programmers to be able to automate things in their computer uh but i'm willing to believe that there is a better way 